Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 102nd episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. This week we have Steve Gleiner, President General Manager of the Hudson Valley Renegades, high-A affiliate of the New York Yankees. If you like this episode, make sure to go back and listen to the older episodes. There's something back there for everyone. If you want to shout out on the podcast and on Twitter, drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts, turns more people into listeners. Um, I don't even care what you say. You can say following directions. You can say uh, Bobby's awesome. Um, Really, whatever you'd like. Um, Just leave a comment and rating on Apple Podcasts. Speaking of Twitter, make sure to go follow the designated Twitter account for the podcast at Pulling Tarp Pod. That's where you can find all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tarp Podcast and reach out about becoming a guest. That's where businesses can reach out as well to become sponsors. Would love to get one of those here soon. And if you really want to, you can also follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. Don't forget, everybody, we have merchandise. You can now get Pulling Tart Podcast stickers. With all that being said, let's get into it and chat with Steve Gleiner. Steve, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. I just want to start off with congratulating you on working in minor league baseball for 35 years. Well, thanks, Bobby. Uh, it's been a hell of a run. It, it, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, this is a. I, I didn't even know I wanted to be working in minor league baseball when I first got in. I was going to school at SUNY Albany. I was a junior and, and as a communication major with a business minor. And I found out the Yankees had their double-A farm club in Albany, New York. And I said, you know what? This sounds like this could be a cool career. I need to go check it out. And I went down to the ballpark and literally knocked on the door every Friday morning at around 11 a.m. for seven weeks in a row until they said yes. Uh, (laughs) True story. And uh, that's how I got into minor league baseball. Just a little bit of perseverance there. Didn't take no for an answer. I think in today's world, you know, I, I might be arrested or something like that. Right. <laughs> for, for I don't know. But uh, it, it was worth the effort to, to show up there every week and, and ask for an opportunity. And, and um, I never turned back. I was probably 10 days into my minor league baseball career and decided I wanted to be a GM. And that set the path moving forward to pretty much decide, here's the things I need to do to get to that point. And that's a long story, but yeah. that's the Reader's Digest version. Okay. Fantastic. So the first, so I typed in your name into LinkedIn, and the first story that came up about you was the video board fiasco of 2021. <laughs> is that the strangest predicament that has come up in your career, or just I'm sure it's one of many? But me, so when I was in Delmarva, we had just gotten a brand new video board. Nobody had ever worked with a video board on staff before, including myself. Um, so that was a lot to tackle, but you guys did some, some cool, like, um, camera work and projection work. You guys got really creative with it, with drawings and whiteboards and all of that. Um, yeah. How, how strange was that to to walk into the stadium and find out the video board wasn't working and try to figure out what you guys were going to do? Well, 
Well, of course it was on a Saturday. So, okay. you know, that you can't get it fixed on a Saturday. And, and we knew that it was a mechanical issue. It wasn't something that like a programming kind of thing where we could just fix it. But, um, you know, in minor league baseball, we MacGyver stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> duct tape and, and rope and, you know, you figure it out. And that was a great example of it. And, and I, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that our staff didn't just kind of sit there and sulk over, hey, you know, we don't have a video board tonight. Instead, they got creative. And Zach Neubauer, who runs that department here for the Renegades, um, was able to figure out that while the video board itself, all the mechanical parts of it and putting up all the graphics and stuff wouldn't work, there was a way to kind of go around. And he worked with our um, IT people and was able to, basically just get a single camera feed <laughs> into yeah. the system to use that. Yeah. And then the whole idea of having Rascal, our mascot, sit there with a whiteboard and just do balls and strikes with tallies and <laughs> <laughs> and do a line score and, and literally do kind of really goofy entertainment between innings on there. And yeah. it was really funny. And, and a lot of it was just on the fly. And that's what I love about it. I mean, you know, and we can get away with stuff like that mm-hmm. in minor league baseball and people – Instead of saying, like, you know, how ridiculous is that? It's like, how creative was that? Right. And that's what I love about it. And, yeah, I think that was just such a great instance of just people coming together and figuring out a way to make a bad situation fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys, I would have been freaking out. I know that that much. All of my superiors would have been freaking out about sponsorships and all that stuff. But I think think you guys really capitalized on that and uh, made it what you could. And and it was funny, I think. Yeah, we literally um, hand drew logos, including our own. Yeah. And sponsor logos, like literally drew the the, the, the scoreboard as it would look with our sponsor logos that would be up there. And <laughs> yeah, it was just fun. I mean, that that's what we do, right? Uh, you, you you take a bad situation and you make fun of it. And you know, Rick Zolzer, our PA guy here, that's one of the great things that I love about him that that he's done over the years is he's come up with all kinds of crazy in between inning games and some of them are really great and some of them just don't translate to what you envision them to be right and he'll just make fun of it on the fly <laughs> in front of the whole crowd and he'll just like yell at our staff to get off the field that was terrible yeah <laughs> things like That's that awesome. i just i always laugh at that because again you just don't see that in a lot of other places even in other minor league ballparks i mean we just have a, re- a really fun attitude here um with everything that we do i like it i like it a lot you personally have made a few different stops in your minor league baseball career, including 13 years with the Fort Myers Miracle and the Charleston Rainbows. You made a stop there. Uh, what made you return to Hudson Valley in 2016 after departing after the 2003 season? So you were there for a while, and then you left for 13 years, and then you came back. Yeah, well, first off... Um... I'm a New York native. I was born and raised in Brooklyn and, and okay. went to school in Albany and Hudson Valley sits kind of between the two. And so geographically it's close to a lot of things that are near and dear to me, including yeah. people I grew up with and, and family and friends. So, uh, you know, I, I went to Florida in 2003. Uh, um, the gold Coin family asked me to go down there and run that club. Uh, they own, uh, Charleston, Fort Myers, Hudson Valley and St. Paul at the time. And, okay. and um, so they asked me to go down to Florida, and, and you know, it, it it was at that point in my career, it was the opportunity to run Major League Spring Training. Yeah. And that was something I hadn't done. Uh, also a much bigger ballpark, and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, not living in, in winter, li- living through winter was something different. I never lived <laughs> in the South in my, you know, I lived in Charleston, um, and they, you know, you still had to change the seasons there, but, um, so after all those years in Fort Myers, uh, in 2016, <laughs> my last season there, we had rain affect 21 of our last 26 home games. Oh. And if you've been down in Florida and you are familiar with the summer times in Florida, see when Florida does marketing, they always show you like the beaches in February. You know when we're freezing up here in the north, right? And they don't they don't show you the the constant barrage of heat, humidity, and rain in the summertime. And it just wore on me. And, and I think that last year I was down there, I was just like, I just gotta, I can't take this weather anymore. It's just, you know, doing, a, you know, literally a hundred tarp pulls over the last season that I was down there. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I don't know. It was just something said to me, you know what? Uh, if I had an opportunity to go back to New York, I, I, sh- I want to jump on that. And um, 
the Goldkind family sold the Miracle after the 2014 season, and we had stayed in touch and, and had said, you know, hey, if, if you ever want to come back to the group, all you need to do is call. And um, I, I made, you know, I made I made the decision. And I wanted to to leave Fort Myers, and I and I spoke with our owner then uh, and said, hey, I think I'm gonna make a change, but I really didn't know where I was going to go yet, but I, this was in the back of my head and I yeah. made that call. And after, after that meeting, and, um, it was about a seven minute conversation Okay. <laughs> and it was worked out and that was it. And the thing about the Renegades and Hudson Valley, I was here when we started the franchise in 94 oh, yeah. and, um, you know, so we built it from the ground up. We, we started with nothing and we built it into what it was. And I was here 10 years. My last five is GM, uh, from 99 to 03. Okay. Um, it's my favorite place I've worked at in my career, and and every place has a different place in your heart and a different right. reason why you liked it. But there's something about Hudson Valley, this region, this area. It's beautiful here. Um, the people are great. There's not a lot of changeover. When I came back, thirteen, fourteen years later, uh, there was still a lot of the same fans that were here at the games, and a lot of the same sponsor partners. And okay, you know, in, in my years in Fort Myers, there was so much changeover. It's a very transient market down there. And right. So. Um, just a special place. Uh, it, and I'm glad I came back and, and, you know, of course we've changed a lot since I've been back in five years, sure. which we'll get to, I guess, shortly, but, um, it's, uh, it is the, the best market I've worked in and it, it's the fans, it's the community, it's the, the, uh, the folks at Dutchess County government. There's a lot of things that make this place special and, um, uh, I just love it here. All right. Well, that's great. But you must have done a pretty good job uh, down there in the Florida State League because you were inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2019. How does how does that feel to be a Hall of Famer? <laughs> uh, really special. Uh, that was a great moment when I got that phone call from Ken Carson, the president of Florida State League, and um, uh, I'd been going to the inductions. We started that with Chuck Murphy as the league president. We started the uh, Hall of Fame down there in the late 2000s, and um, Watched a lot of really great people get inducted, including Mike Vec and Mark Goldklein from the Miracle Ownership. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I made so many great friends in that league and, and was on the executive committee and, and was just really involved. It was, it's a great league. You know, we, we work, it's, it's a different world in the Florida State League when, you, when you're operating spring training and then you get into 70 games after that, right. 70 minor league games after that. Um, I've always told people that work in baseball, if you really want to get a sense of what it's like to, to, to live the grind mm-hmm. of the minor league baseball life, go to the Florida State League. Yeah. Because you're dealing with spring training, and then you've got 70 minor league games, and you've got that crazy weather, which I just referred to before. And um, it's a grind. They're just I don't know mm-hmm. how other way to describe it. And I did it for 13 years, and there's people that have been in that league 25 years right. doing that grind. Um so it's special, and, and it's a great group of people, and, and um, uh, it was a great night. Uh, I had all my family there. Um, my, my mom and my dad and my brother and I, it's the last time we were all together. So my mom passed away in 2020, and, um, you know, I know that my family was just so grateful to be a part of it, and um, it's a night I'll never forget. It was a very, very special moment in my career, and, and I'm very grateful for having my time in the Florida State League. And, and the friends I still have down there that in the low A Southeast, I have to make sure I say that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very well deserved. Um, so I've got to ask, I didn't realize that uh, Fort Myers and Hudson Valley were, were in the same ownership as, um, as Charleston and St. Paul. So yeah. I'm assuming you've met Bill Murray. I have. So, you, what is he like in person? I mean, all, all we know is from from the movies, and that's about it. He's awesome. Um, we, we would have organizational meetings where he would just randomly show up and be part of the creative process. And there isn't probably a more creative mind in, in the world than Bill yeah. Murray. And, um, you know, it was just fun having him in the room. I was at a party once that... Uh, we were in a condo line where uh, <laughs> I was in front of him and my wife was behind him. And my wife always talks about that. That, well, that was a pretty cool moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's fantastic. And uh, it, it was pretty cool to have 
somebody like him. And, and you know what? He was really involved in Charleston um, and St. Paul for a lot of years. Um, you know, when I was here in Hudson Valley, my first run, he would randomly show up at games, sometimes not looking much like Bill Murray. Like, you, you probably wouldn't recognize him because he right. just didn't. You know, but then when he'd walk in and he and he looked like Bill Murray, he'd just get attacked by everybody. And sure. to his credit, he, he would sign autographs after the games and take pictures with people. Um, back in the day, it wasn't cell phones. It was throwaway cameras that we sold in the shop. Right. Uh, <laughs> and um, he was fantastic. And, and, you know, it's funny. I My favorite movie of all time is Meatballs. Okay. I went to summer camp. I went to summer camp, eight-week summer camp for... 10 years as, as a kid, uh, all the way up through my teen years. And um, Meatballs is everything that summer camp is to me. And, and it's, you know, I think it was maybe his first movie. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, and it probably is. So yeah. I, I, I had a copy, a VHS copy of Meatballs that I brought in. And I kept in my office knowing he would probably show up once, you know, one time during the season. And um, he signed a box. He said, uh, to Steve, be kind and rewind Bill Murray. <laughs> but I still have that to this day, and it's a really cool. Like you know, it would have been really easy to get Caddyshack signed or something like that. But that, right. that movie has special meaning to me, and it's a great keepsake right there. But yeah, he's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, so we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You know, one of the one of the reasons that I got out of baseball back in 2019 was the crazy schedule and balancing, you know, a family life and stuff like that. You've been in the game for 35 years now. How do you balance working the crazy schedule of minor league baseball and being a family man all of these years? Well, it's not easy. Um, And the answer to that question is having a family that understands what I do. Sure. Um, I'll be married 30 years this year. I met my wife when I worked in Charleston, and um, she's been along for the ride. Uh, for the entire time. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting. There's a lot of people in this industry that wear it at a, as a badge of courage when they talk about, well, you know what? I missed my kid's graduation and I, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And, you know, I always have one of the things that was really great working for the gold client family is they, they understood the importance of family. Yeah. Um, and there was never a time where I would call and say, Hey, I've got, this happening or this happening. And it was like, you know what? You have a great staff around you. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Go do what you have to do. And the place will be there when you come back. And, um, you know, that's important. And I, and to this day, I've always made sure, same thing as a GM with our staff here, uh, whether it's here or when I was at Fort Myers, um, I would always tell people, look, if you've got something that's really important that you have to do as part of your family, even if it means missing two or three games, mm-hmm. let's figure it out because you don't get that back. Right. You don't get those opportunities back in life. And, um, you know, the years I was in Fort Myers, my kids were two and six when I moved there. Yeah. And then when I, when I left, um, and came back here, um, you know, they were 15 and 19, I think, or something like that. And so you figure out the, the age, those years in between when I was working my longest schedules in my career, uh, you know, I, I did miss some things, but I tried to make sure that the really big moments that I was always there for. And, um, but it's having a family that understands and, and a family that's willing to be a part of it. You know, my kids have worked at the ballpark. My wife's worked at the ballpark. Um, uh, you know, but I, I worship the ground my wife walks on. I tell everybody that because, uh, I've seen a lot of people in this industry choose their work over their family. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, I wouldn't do that. And I, I, I've always said if, if, if it became too much and I couldn't figure out that balance, then that would be the last day I worked in this business. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that there's a lot of things that have to align properly. And when you have a family that understands that and supports that, it makes it that much easier to be able to do this. But there, there are times when I have to be honest, it's, you know, you think about it, it's like, wow, this is a, a really long grind, mm-hmm. <laughs> using that word again. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, you just have to figure out that balance. And, and working for people that understand that makes it possible. And it, and, it, and I was fortunate to be able to do that for a long time with the with the gold client family. Yeah, yeah. I know I worked in, in small front offices, you know, pretty much my whole career. And I I felt like if something, if something came up that like the show would not go on. 
um, you know, because I was the PA announcer and DJ in Beloit for four years to, for every game, um, and I, I was the one that typed up the lineups and all that stuff. Anybody could type up a lineup, but, I mean, you know, knowing the software for PA announcing and, and the DJ system and all that, and then in in uh, Delmarva, I was the only person that knew how to operate the video board, uh, so... Really, if I didn't show up for a game, we were we were up Shit's Creek without a paddle. But um, but that's that's great that you know you have ownership and management that that back you up on on that kind of stuff. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. So in 2011, uh, when I was in Fort Myers, every, after every season down there, the Yankees. You know, I grew up a Yankees fan, and the Yankees would always come into the trot. Mm-hmm. And um, Every year, I would take the kids up to the trop to see a Yankees game in September when the Yankees would come in. Okay. And um, my oldest son, uh, at one point after in 2011, and I said, "Hey, I got the tickets. We're going to go up to the game next week." And and he one day said to me, "He says, hey, you know what? I, I don't think I like baseball anymore. I don't want to go." And I was like, "Why is that?" And his answer to me was, "Well, it's what keeps you away all summer long." And <laughs> You're talking about a dagger through the heart. Yeah. So the next day, I called Mark Goldklang and Jeff Goldklang, and I said, I need to fly up to New York and have a conversation with you guys because I had a life-altering conversation with my kid. And they're like, well, what's the matter? And I said, well, and, and Mark said, well, I'll fly down. I, I want to talk to you about this. And, um, and I explained the predicament, and I said, that was really tough, you know, that now my kid's of age, and, and, he, and he's feeling this, that yeah. this career is maybe getting in the way. And Marv immediately said, well, you know what? Um, we'll elevate you to team president and we'll elevate Andrew Seymour, who was your AGM to GM. And you don't have to work all the games. You just figure out the games you want to work and, and you make your schedule. Okay. And um, I'll never forget that first season. So I, I decided I was going to, I talked to my wife, Michelle, and I said, Hey, so here's what they're going to do for me. And, and, and that was really great. And, uh, you know, after all these years of working in baseball and having that mentality, like I have to be there because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how I was raised in the game. Right. 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 How am I going to miss a game? I don't think I've never missed a game in my career. And I've been doing it at that point, 88, 98, 2000, you know, it was like 24 years already. I don't think I ever missed a game at that point. Wow. And, um, so I had decided I was going to work Thursday, Friday and Saturday games in, in full. Uh-huh. And then I would take off Sunday games, and then the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday games, I'd stay through like the first inning and just make sure everything was good, and then I'd head out. Yeah. So that first Sunday, I'm sitting at home, and we had one o'clock games down there in Fort Myers, and it's about ten to one. And I'm sitting on the couch, my wife and I are watching a movie, and I keep looking at my watch, and my <laughs> wife looks at me, she says, um, "You're having a tough time with this, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah, it's really tough." She goes, yeah. well, "Figure it out and get used to it." Like she <laughs> kind of reprimanded me, and I said, "Okay." She goes, place isn't going to burn down without you there. It was literally like the first game I think I ever missed in my career. Right. And, um, and, uh, it was hard. Like, and, and, you know, those Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday games as summer got deeper and, and, you know, you talk about what your specialty, well, my specialty is reading the radar. I got really good at it, especially down in Florida. And, and, um, I felt like I needed to be there if it was, if it was a rain situation, because otherwise maybe that, that would not get handled properly and again, okay. it's, it's what's in your head right it, right you know I, I you just have to kind of figure it out and, and, and let things happen and, and make sure you're letting people do their jobs and and you know so it was a weird adjustment for me sure but i i, I figured it out over time and and that was good you know for the next several years i, I was able to kind of make my my schedule when it came to the games and mm-hmm. um i kind of it kind of went back we we had a big construction project down there where we did a big renovation of the facility and I was working 18 hour days for a year and a half getting that project done. And, yeah. Um, so, so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think after that, I was already working all the games again. I, I would, I like the, you know, I think the later years in Fort Myers, I was still staying till like the fourth or fifth inning. Okay. You just can't, you know, look, when you're raised in this game and, and you're doing it a certain way, it's very tough to change. Sure. It, it, very tough. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, you almost feel like, you know, for me, it's a feeling of guilt. Like, I'm not there and everybody else is working these games. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not right. I should be there. Yeah. Uh, we're a team. We should be doing this together. But, um, you know, somebody said to me once, hey, you know what? You earned that opportunity, so you should enjoy that flexibility. So, yeah. again, yes. part of the 
the work-life balance and and you know all that part of the conversation that we had earlier yeah yeah um so i'm a big dog guy right um Bo is the unofficial mascot of the pulling tart podcast um he nice. just he just i just picked him up from doggy daycare before we started this zoom call so obviously he's he's very spoiled he is a beagle jack russell mix i'm pretty sure um but so i was looking through your your instagram and uh i i think i know the answer to this question but how spoiled on a scale of one to ten is oreo uh she's a 50 (laughs) (laughs) so uh a little backstory to oreo um i'm a dog guy myself and uh when we got married I had said to my wife, I said, you know, someday we should get a dog. And she's, she's not, she didn't grow up with, with a dog. And, you know, I don't, she would be like, I don't want that responsibility. I don't want, you know, and, and look, when it comes to dogs, as you know, if you're not all in, then you don't do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's cause it's a commitment and it's right. a lifelong commitment for the mm-hmm. dog. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so for 23 years, every year I'd ask and every year I'd be shut down and I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll ask a year from now. And so in 2016, I, I brought it up again. It's actually the end of 2015, and and my oldest son went off to college, so the house got a little quiet. Sure. And and Michelle comes up to me around Thanksgiving of 2015 and says, "Hey, um, so that dog you've always been asking about, maybe we should look into that this year." And I think there was like this 30 second pause where I just kind of st- stared at her, <laughs> and I was like, "Is something wrong? Like, am I dying or something?" Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we? Why all of a sudden? are we agreeing to this after 23 years of marriage? And, right. And she says, well, you know, I don't know. I think it would be kind of neat. I know you've always asked. And so I was very reluctant at first. Cause I was like, wow, this is just so, so, you know, 540 degrees from where yeah. this conversation usually goes. Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> she says, well, you know, I do have a list of demands though, when it comes to the dog, and I'm like demands, what do you mean? And I said, you know, we're going to probably, go to the rescue route because you know that's the right thing to do and, uh-huh. and so when you rescue a dog you get what you get and you know i don't know if they could really narrow it down to what your list will be but go ahead mm-hmm. and the list was you know well we don't have a son so i want a female um you know i want one that's house trained and i want one that's not going to tear up the furniture and i want one that you know and the, that's going to sleep in their own bed and the list went on and on and i'm like okay okay well you know we could ask these questions and we'll see what happens and and so we, we went through several rescues, and, and there was this one rescue that I really latched on to because they had an adopt, to, uh, it was like a rent-to-own, <laughs> uh, adopt-to-own policy. Yeah. And it was like, you can you can adopt and have the dog for up to three weeks, and if it's not the right match, they'll take it back, no, no questions asked. Okay. And I thought, you know, maybe that's the route we go because, hey, look, if we bring a dog in and it's not working out, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, wind up going to the SPCA and saying, oh, here, here's a dog, sure. you know, just popping it off. Um, and they would, you know, put the dog out to some other family and they just find another family for it. Well, so we went up to this, uh, to this place in North Fort Myers and, and it was a lady's house and in her backyard, she had dog cottages and she had like 25 dogs on property and she had about another 15 cats in the house. And then she had a cow in the backyard, which oh. I jokingly asked, is the cow available? And she said, yes, would you like it? And <laughs> I was like, no, I'm good. I have yeah. a lawnmower. I don't need a cow. Yeah. Uh, and um, anyway, long and short, we, we actually you know, tried out, if you will, a couple of dogs that they had, but they didn't have any females that, were, um, uh, that weren't uh, hypoallergenic. That was the other thing. She didn't want oh, okay. a shedding dog. And, uh, so we had this one dog. It turned out he was a boy. His name was Elliot. And, um, he was really cute. He was a little, you know, also wanted a really small dog. We didn't want anything too large. Sure. And, um, so he fit all the bills except he was male. And, um, so we said, okay, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll try out Elliot. And, um, we get a call that night from the lady with the rescue. And she goes, you know, I forgot about this dog that's being fostered by, uh, one of our fosters and she'll be the perfect dog for you. In fact, I know she's going to be so perfect. I'm going to bring her to your house next next Saturday, if that's okay. okay. And I said, okay, this sounds great. So I yeah. tell Michelle, I said, hey, uh, change your plans. We're going to try a different dog. They're going to bring her here. They're confident that this is the one. Well, so the following weekend comes around, and, and my son comes home from college. He was going to FGC right down the road. And so he comes home, and the four of us are there. And 
uh, in comes the lady, and then five minutes later, in comes the foster mom with Oreo, whose name was Queenie at the time. Um, and uh, <laughs> she comes in, and, and they let her loose in the house, and I'm looking at her interact with my kids and Michelle, and within two minutes, I'm like, that's the one. Yep. You know, it was so apparent. <laughs> And she came to me last, and she's definitely a daddy's girl, by the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, just, you know, I know everybody's got the greatest dog ever, but she's the greatest match for our family. And, and my wife, who was never a dog person, is it, you would never know it the way she interacts with Oreo, and she mm -hmm. just loves her. And uh, Oreo sleeps in our bed, although that was one of the things that was not supposed to happen. Yeah. But uh, she wouldn't sleep in a dog bed because I guess she never slept in a dog bed before. So okay. that, that first night, we wound up putting her in the bed and... Uh, <laughs> um, she's been in our bed ever since, but okay. yeah, she's very spoiled and deservedly so. And she's the, the, the love of our life. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll quickly tell you the story about how, how Bo got to our house. Um, right. so I went to the video TX conference when they still did that. Um, so right. I, it was in St. Louis that year and we had just gotten the video board um, so the team sent, sent me and, um, our director of marketing, uh, to St. Louis for, for the video TX conference. And at the time I, my wife and I were still dating. And when I was in the middle of moving my things into her house, she, she had bought the house before we even met. And so I had grown up with dogs my whole life. She did not. Uh, so she's right. she's not a dog person um, either, and so she happened to have um, jury duty while I was away at Video TX in St. Louis, and so she got out of jury duty. They didn't select her, so she had the day off of work, and she's headed home from jury duty, and she passes the SPCA. And they have like really weird hours and like the gates were open. And so she, she went in just, just to look quote unquote. And so I called her on my lunch break from St. Louis and I, and I said, Hey, what are you doing? And she said, I'm at PetSmart. And I said, what are you doing at PetSmart? And she said, um, I might have gotten a dog. And I said, what do you mean you might have? And she said, well, he's only he's only about eight weeks old. He's a beagle mix. They were taking pictures of him to put a, put him on the website. And um, he didn't even make it to the website. I I took him. Wow. <laughs> and so that's... I so I, I came home from St. Louis, and, and Bo has been here ever since. How old is he now? He is four. Uh... Great. Yeah. Yeah, we got Oreo when she was five and a half, so she was a, you know, kind of an older dog already at yeah. that point. Um, and and she was with a, a an older couple who just couldn't take care of her anymore. Oh. And they okay. were at, at a at a assisted living facility, and they were going to hand her off to another older couple who was probably not going to have her that long. And sure. So that her the, the the couple's daughter decided that it was best to put her through foster and find a fam her forever family as they okay. call it. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, so we were, we're very blessed. We're very fortunate that we were matched up with her. Yeah. Um, and it's great to hear a story like yours with both too. Yes. Yeah. But there's always hope, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like Man's best friend. That's for sure. That's right. Yep. Um, so again, I was looking at your Instagram and I definitely would not have the patience for this. Um, I, I've been told I'm a very patient person, but how on earth did you have the patience to make that Yankee Stadium Lego model that took 3,515 pieces to make? It's on my uh, credenza, actually. Ooh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Along with a wooden puzzle Yankee Stadium, too. I did see that one, but I, I think the Lego one was probably more difficult, right? Yeah, it's so so it's actually not Lego. It's a um, it's by Foco. Oh, okay. BRXLZ, BricksLZ, they call it. And, yeah. Um, they have the license for all the, the stadiums for all the different you know, arenas. Oh. They have they basically have a set. There's there's probably well over a hundred sets that that they make. Okay. All the different they have collegiate facilities. They have uh, NFL stadiums. They have MLB stadiums. They have uh, arenas. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Very cool. So. When we became a Yankees affiliate, I decided to look online and see what, you know, 
Yankee stuff I could have for my office. And sure. I grew up a huge Legos fan. Um, I built uh, all kinds of stuff as a kid. In fact, um, my brother built a, a baseball stadium just out of random pieces when we were kids, and we still have pictures of it floating around. And, okay. And so, um, but th- this particular brand, it's, it's different than Lego. The, the pieces are very, very, very small. They're about a third of the size of typical Legos. Oh, wow. And, um, it's, it's a challenge. It's not easy to build these things. In fact, I just built Epitz Field. Oh, um, that's cool. In the last couple of weeks from the same company, because uh, I'm from Brooklyn originally. Yeah. So I cleared, the, I cleared that spot in the corner over there for, for that one. Okay. I'm going to bring that in tomorrow. I just finished that. I'll send you some of those pictures. Yeah. It, it's, it's the only classic stadium in the series. They don't have any other oh. like, non-existent stadiums anymore. And, um, nice. When I was a kid, I used to, my orthodontist was in, in downtown Brooklyn, um, right across from the Barclays Center, which is there now. It wasn't there then, but... Mm-hmm. Um, so a building called One Handsome Place, and, and so we used to have to drive through Brooklyn uh, to get there. I lived in Canarsie and on the other end of town, and so we would always go down Flatbush Avenue, and we'd pass, you know, about a block off Flatbush Avenue is where the Ebbets Field Apartments are now. And, um, you know, my dad would point out, hey, that's where Ebbets Field was, you know? Um, oh. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I, I would see the site, and I couldn't... Um, I couldn't envision what it was like for, for Ebbets Field to be there. It was just, you see these big, massive apartment buildings. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I just had this fascination with Ebbets Field growing up, even though I never saw it in person. Mm. And, um, you know, they have, at the site, there's a, a little marker, marker in the courtyard where the apartments are that shows where home plate was. That's and, pretty uh, cool. I remember seeing that as a kid. It's pretty cool, yeah. But um, So it was really neat to build that set, too. But I, I do have a lot of patience when it comes to, to building stuff with either Lego or, um, uh, you know, uh, I just love building stuff like that. Okay. That's <laughs> it, awesome. It's, it's a passion of mine. Yeah. I definitely would not have the patience for that. That's for sure. Um, I do just want to put this out there that I didn't work for the renegades, the quad cities, river bandits, the trash pandas weren't around when I was still in minor league baseball. Well, I guess they were for a little bit. Um, but yeah, the renegades really miss out on a great opportunity, uh, to employ someone with the last name Kuhn. Well, you know, it's never too late if you want to get back into baseball. Yeah. We have to have you, uh, apply for upcoming positions. So I, that would be pretty funny though, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I actually looked, I'm, I'm the type of person that I never delete like anything in my personal email. Um, and <laughs> so I looked back, I, I, I was like, I was pretty sure I sent a resume to the Renegades at one point. Sure enough, I did. Um, in 2012, I was, okay, I wasn't here. Yeah. I can't take credit, yeah. I had just, um, finished my internship with the Williamsport Crosscutters, um, right. which is where I'm from. Uh, so, and so I, I had next to no experience, but I think I applied for like a director of promotions and marketing position, which in hindsight, I wasn't qualified for, but, but I, I sent in a resume. I remember that. And did you get a response like, Hey, great last name, but we don't have anything for you or (laughs) I didn't, I didn't get a response actually. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately. Missed opportunities. I know. I know. Um, so you guys were affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays for a long time. Uh, what was it like transitioning from, you, you were also a short season affiliate. So what was it like transitioning from a short season Tampa Bay Rays affiliate to now you're the high A New York Yankees affiliate? So, you know, when I was here, my first run through, we became a Rays affiliate uh, we were a co-op with the Texas Rangers in 96. Okay. We had players from both organizations. We actually fielded the first Tampa Bay Devil Rays players in their mm-hmm. organization history here in Hudson Valley. So, okay. Um, my connection to the Rays goes back a very long time. And, in fact, their farm director was Mitch Lukovic, so I knew from the Yankees days. And, um, you know, I kept in touch with Mitch all the years I was in Fort Myers. And when I came back, it was a lot of the same faces with the Rays, same thing. And um, what a great organization. I mean, yeah. the Rays, top to bottom, left to right, the people, um, 
you know, they find ways to put a competitive product out there every year without the budget that other teams have. Yep. And it's just, I just have a lot of respect for the way they go about their business. And um, from Stu Sternberg all the way down through the organization, they're just classy group of people. And I was really fortunate to be able to come back and work with them again. Um, transitioning back to the Yankees, though, you know, it kind of brought my career full circle. Started yeah. out with the Yankees and... And here I am with working with them again, and you know it's the it's the greatest franchise in all of sports, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Um, and I have a personal, you know, affection for the Yankees as a lifelong Yankee fan, and so sure, um, it's pretty cool to be a, a president and GM in the Yankees organization. Um, uh, you know, it, it's the transition from short season to full season. I, I can't lie; I mean, I came back to Hudson Valley, part of the allure was going from 85 to 90 games in Fort Myers to 38 games here. Sure. <laughs> um, so I didn't sign up for a full season schedule again. That's not what I came back for. <laughs> but, you know, to get a Yankees affiliate in Hudson Valley, uh, that's a pretty good payoff. Sure. And, um, you know, the Yankees also are a great organization, some really great people top to bottom, left to right. And, um, uh, you know, who knew? Uh, you know, again, when I came back here five years ago, that's I never would have guessed that short season baseball would, would disappear off the map and we would be fortunate enough to get a Yankees affiliation just 60 miles north of the Bronx. Right, right. Yeah, I sometimes I think if I if I found a short season team, like I could I could make that work, you know, with a with a life work balance, but uh it, I, it goes quick. Yeah. You know, thirty eight games. You're just getting into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I was down in Fort Myers and, and you know, I, I stayed in touch with the people here in Hudson Valley who never worked anywhere else, so they didn't know. Several of them never knew more than a 38-game home schedule, right? Sure. And, you know, I'd be talking to them in, in mid-August, and they're like, oh, season's getting dragged on already. And I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no idea. Okay. You were in your 25th game, and you're complaining right. already? Yeah. Right. Gosh, spring training is almost that many games. Yeah. So we're getting, then we have 70 more games after that, you know? Yep. We had spring training games, spring, spring training years in Fort Myers with, when we had we hosted WBC games, oh yeah, baseball classic, yeah, where we had twenty openings in spring training, oh. and that's what these guys were complaining about. And then we had seventy games on top of that. So right, right. I was giving giving the heck for that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did. I did one season of of short season. My my right, intern year with Williamsport, right. but which was which was nice because uh, my I grew up right around the corner from the ballpark. In fact, I would leave my house at eight fifty eight, and if I caught a red light or if i caught a green light i would get to the ballpark at exactly nine o'clock so and i could see i get my my parents knew exactly where i was obviously but like growing up i uh could see the fireworks from my house at the stadium so nice yeah So I'm also big food guy, love, love food. I'm actually like halfway, I'm doing whole 30 this month with my wife. Uh, so I am like hungry all the time. So this is probably going to make my mouth full of saliva, but what is the best concessions item at the Dutch? So, you know, like anywhere else, we change it up over the years. Um, we had something called the Hudson Southern comfort, which was a fried chicken, patty on a waffle with maple syrup on Ooh, top of it and um, and bacon mm. uh, that was a few years ago and you needed literally three people to finish this thing off it was ginormous <laughs> um, that was really good uh, you know last year of the COVID year we kind of scaled things back and went kind of basic just because with, with attendance restrictions and all that sure. it, it, we couldn't really open up everything that we've had this year we'll go back to more of a traditional setup but last year we brought in a new uh, vendor called Sweet and Boozy. Uh, it's uh, regular ice cream, but also alcoholic infused ice cream. Okay. And um, just and and this year they're bringing back a whole different lineup of flavors and such. But um, something we came up with last year, um, we were going to do shakes, and we wound up not doing them. They had something called Thunder Shakes, 
And a thunder shake is basically, you know, a, a shake with all kinds of toppings and then like a hunk of cheesecake on top. Okay. Or, or a giant Oreo cookie or... So when we decided we couldn't do the shakes, I said, well, why don't we do a thunder cup? I think I just kind of came out with it. Yeah. And, um, and, the, and the genius behind Sweet and Boozy is a lifelong friend of mine named Neil Werner. And, and uh, Neil said, yeah, okay, well, we could do that. And, and so we created, he created um, four or five different thunder cups. Um, one was uh, with an Oreo, giant Oreo ice cream cookie on top and, um, anyway, you know, one was the strawberry shortcake. Another one was with, with a giant, two giant donuts on top. Ooh. Again, one of these things that like two people. So, you know, we're doing this, uh, this diet plan. You're probably yeah. ruining it for you right now. But, <laughs> um, the, uh, just the visual of these thunder cups walking through the stadium, you know, you would get that initial rush, like about the third or fourth inning. Mm-hmm. And then people would walk back into the seating bowl with these things. And, and just like that, you look out on the concourse and the line would be 30 deep because everybody's seeing people walking back with these things. Yeah. They're like, I got to get that. You know, you go to the ballpark and you're looking for, this is my, that's what I love is when I go to a ballpark, like, you know, yeah, it's great to get the hot dog because that's kind of the traditional item. Yeah. But I love looking for things that are unique and different that you don't see everywhere else. Yeah. Me too. Um, And that, and that item last year became kind of a staple here. Like people were like, you know, coming to games like, hey, where do I get that ice cream with the giant hunk of cake on top or what? Yeah. That's awesome. So there you go. So the Thunder Cups will be back this year and with new flavors of, of uh, the boozy ice cream and um, all kinds of new lineups on, on the Thunder Cups and the regular ice cream too. So Awesome. Pretty good staple here. That does sound really, really good. <laughs> um, now you'll need to make a road trip. Yes, <laughs> yes. We all know the other duties as assigned – thing in minor league baseball right um there's nothing that is not in one's job description when you work in minor league baseball so what is the most other duties as a sign moment in your 35 years in minor league baseball uh let's see so i was sway the mascot in fort myers for half a game one night because uh uh the the guy that was playing the character was late getting there okay (laughs) And, and they needed sway on the field, and I was like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, let's see, I was a clubhouse manager for 10 days in Charleston, uh, amongst everything else I was doing, because our club, had a, a family emergency and had to leave town, so wow. I, I did that. Um, you know, I don't think there's any, the only thing I haven't done in baseball is be a bat boy, to be honest. Ooh. I think that's the only thing I haven't been as a bat boy. Um, I think you should do that this year. So yeah, maybe we'll see. Uh, you know, so I can complete the the gamut of responsibilities. But, yeah. Um, when I was in Charleston, also I, I ran the post game cleanup crew, um, and that was pretty interesting. I had to break <laughs> up a, a rake fight one night between two guys on the cleanup crew. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> can't make wow. this up, right? Wow. Um, nope. We also had a guy that that plunged the toilet with his palm, his open hand. Uh, with, with, and so what's great about that is is that. Um, <laughs> And the guy was really proud of it, <laughs> that he had this skill. Wow. And that was about the time when David Letterman was doing stupid human tricks. And yeah. I literally called the David Letterman people and I said, I got a guy who could plunge a toilet with his open palm. And and they said it, they would have done it, but it was too gross for, you know, for even 1230 at night. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really, I thought that was like the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like yeah. literally, like we had a, a one night that the guy, the, the, the bathroom people couldn't find a plunger and the guy's like, Hey, you don't need a, a, a plunger. I could take care of that. I was like, okay, well, we got to go watch this. Oh, my True gosh. story. That is so, nasty. <laughs> that wasn't me doing that, but that, yeah. was, that was definitely somebody who stepped up big uh, yeah. <laughs> in their role. Yeah. Man. Um, so what's the strangest situation that's come up during a game that you've had to assist with? <laughs> uh, so in Fort Myers, I... Um, when I first got down there my first year, they they actually didn't have EMS crews at every game. Oh, okay. like some of the slower nights, they decided just not to have it. We had a um, an ambulance, um, um, you know, basically a, a place where ambulances were parked, like a block from the stadium. Okay. So it was like the, the ambulance depot, I guess, where they, you know, where the di- the nine one one dispatch sure. is what it was. And so you know, if we needed somebody over there in two minutes we can get them out there but 
So we had one night where um, one of the fans was an older lady. She was probably in her late 80s, and she cut her ankle on a step, you know, kind of caught it walking yeah. around. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here I am, <laughs> going to the EMS room, throw on the gloves, um, and I'm trying to, you know, repair this poor woman's ankle, and it just wouldn't stop. I mean, it was yeah. like... And that was the that was the last day we didn't have an EMS crew at every game. I'm sure <laughs> it was. I was like, I, you know, I don't get paid enough to do this, right? Uh, you know, her her skin was like crepe paper. You know, you know, like yeah. stuff you use in, in school. Yep. To, to decorate with that's how thin it was. I was like, I'm getting nowhere. I'm I literally was sitting there like applying pressure for 20 minutes and it just wasn't working uh. without getting too graphic. And um, that's the thing I always think about. Like you know, when you think about all the weird things you do, and, and you know, here I am. I know nothing about, you know, look, I had kids, I, you know, I would always fix up and clean up scratches and bruises sure. and, and cuts and stuff, but, you know, I wasn't good at this one, so, yeah, I had, <laughs> I had to call in the, uh, the backup on that one. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, fan, fans are the best, but uh, they can also be, there, there can be some strange interactions, so I gotta ask, what's the weirdest interaction that you've had with a fan? Got a good one for you on that. All right. And that happened here on opening night in 1994, our first game ever. Okay. And um, this actually led to a, um, a a future creation for the Renegades. So opening night, I'm walking through the inside the the inner bowl, and um, from the uh, above the walkway in the first row of seats, the gentleman kind of reaches over and taps me on the shoulder and says, "Hey, I got a question for you. Do you work here?" And I said, "Yeah." And he says, um, I've got the, uh, you know, the, the lineup in my hand here, the, the, the scorecard. And I'm looking on the scoreboard, and they got the name flashing up, and I, he's not on my scorecard. And I was like, and I turn around, and I look up on the video board, and our video board guy is putting up the word Renegades, but it was coming up as Renegades, like in two big uh, screens. Yeah, yeah. The R-E-N-E and then Gades. Okay. But I said, well, you know, is that what you're talking about? He goes, yeah, who's Renee Gaddis? I don't see him on the roster. <laughs> and uh, I, I said to myself, I'm like, okay, this is not real. Like, I'm looking around. It must be like candy cameras. So yeah, like, this right. Can't be real. <laughs> so I said, well, well, sir, no, it's not Renee Gaddis. It's Renegades. I'm doing that like on my hand, like boom, boom, like this. Yeah. And he's like, oh, God, do I feel stupid? I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I'm like, Renee Gaddis. And so I run into, like, Later in the game, I run into the office and I said to our GM, Skip Weissman, I said, Hey, Skip, I, I had this guy ask me this question. I explained the story to him and I said, um, You know, maybe we need a, a, a female raccoon mascot for rookie to offset rookie, and it could be Renee Gaddis. <laughs> and so, like the next year, we introduced Renee Gaddis. Okay. And, and that's how that happened, just from this one fan's interaction with me asking this ridiculous question. That I, I couldn't believe I was being asked, and and that so Renee rookie and Renee that's how that how Renee came okay. about from that one instance it just but hit it, me. it led to a pretty good idea okay yeah I there think so go. yeah <laughs> absolutely um, so you alluded to you know pulling tarp so many times in Florida um, but over thirty five years I don't even know I wouldn't even begin to guess where your tarp pool number is at right now. But uh, I don't have a number for you. Yeah. Do you have any wild or crazy tarp stories over the years? Well, I have a three inch scar on my back to, to prove that I had back surgery from a bad tarp pole. No 2000. way. What happened then? Uh, yeah. I blew out a disc. <laughs> oh. So uh, that, that got repaired. So that's good. It all it healed well. So life is good. Um, so in Charleston, I got thrown by the tarp. One, one year. You haven't lived life until you've been thrown by a tarp. And um, I was literally thrown about 12 feet in the air. I, it was, wow. I landed hard. Um, so you always got to remember when, when you feel that tarp on it, just let go because yeah. it ain't worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that rule, the golden rule, right, of tarp pull. Um, so that happened to me. And, and actually, I was dressed like I wasn't in my typical game uniform that night. I don't remember why. And I was wearing literally like white pants and this – Maybe it was a theme night or something like that, and I was wearing this button-down shirt with, like, pinstripes on it, and, and it just got obliterated. Like, you know, I, I was just a complete clay mess. Right. And I remember 
you know, going into my office, I had a change of clothes for tarp poles, of course, mm -hmm. that I didn't change into in time. And so I put on my tarp clothes and I went down to the clubhouse right away because I really liked this, this these pants and the, the shirt I was wearing. And mm -hmm. I went to the clubhouse guy. I said, you have like a protein release or something to help me save these, these clothes? And he goes, yeah, I got it. And sure <laughs> as heck, he, he got that stuff like it was like nothing ever happened. It was great. Yeah. Um, so I had that. And then here in, in Hudson Valley, we used to host the Mac tournament years ago. Okay. And um, <clears throat> there was a really bad storm coming in and, and and we had told the the organizers of the Mac tournament, said, look, if, if the rain's coming, you, you got to just let the field go. There's nothing you could do because the winds are going to be like 50 mile an hour gusts mm -hmm. tonight. Yeah. And they didn't listen to us and they put the tarp out and somebody called me on the radio. I was in the office and they said, hey, they just put the tarp out and I know you told them not to. And by the time I got out there, the tarp was, as I walked out into the bowl, the tarp was in midair and landed on our clubhouse building down the right field line. Literally got completely... Yep. Like parachuted up in the air. And it was, it was like, I wish it was back in, you know, it was in the day where we had cell phones that I could just pull out a camera and get video of this because it was, right. it was so cool to watch. But the, the tarp got impaled on top of the clubhouse building. So they wound up buying us a new tarp that okay. we had delivered literally like within three days. So, oh, wow. Uh, so that wasn't such a bad ending, but it was, it, you know, the moral of the story, don't, don't put it out if it ain't going to stay down, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, we did have some listener questions. Let me get those okay. pulled up here. Okay. Um, Paul Caputo, he also hosts the um, Baseball by Design podcast. Um, he, yeah. he writes for sportslogos.net. He asked, which team's raccoon mascot would win a baseball skills contest? Rookie from the Renegades, I I can't remember what uh, the Quad City River Bandits uh, mascot or the Ro Rocket City Trash Pandas. I can't remember their names, but so yeah, who would who would win in a raccoon mascot baseball skills contest? Renegades mascot, Quad Cities River Bandits mascot, or the Rocket City Trash Pandas mascot? Well, of course, that's a silly question because of course our mascot's going to win. Of course. Uh, and he's, uh, well, Rookie is our original, so he's got the most uh, lifetime worth of skills, but okay. Rascal's a pretty good ball player, too, so I'm yeah. absolutely going with um, Rookie or Rascal Okay. the Renegades, All hands right. down. Not even a question. All right. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then the minor league guy, uh, he asked... What are the most positive and negative changes to minor league baseball in the last 20 years? Wow, that's a great question. Um, positive changes. I, I mean, you know, the game has evolved, and, and it's interesting. You just from a from a, a game perspective, um, I, I think. Uh, I would say from a negative, let's start on the negative side. I think, you know, just in baseball in general, games are getting too long, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think last year here in Hudson Valley, out of 60 home games, we played 56 openings. I'd say 40 of them were probably three hours plus. That's just too long. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, the analytics in baseball has probably changed that because we're we're managing the game differently. Sure. Um but I'm a baseball fan, so I don't mind a three-hour game. I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. If that's the case, but yeah. you know, I, you know, the, the the attention span of people, I, I think today is such that. I mean, look, we're we're trying pitch clocks, or we're trying bigger bases, and we're trying all yeah. kinds of stuff to try to speed the game up. And mm -hmm. um, I just don't know, you know, eliminating the shift. I mean, I, I don't know if that's if any of that's going to make enough of a difference to speed the game up to get it back to being two and a half hours, two hours and 40 minutes. Right. Sure. Um, so yet, you know, I, I think from a standpoint of minor league baseball, uh, I think the facilities, the changes in facilities over the years okay. is probably the coolest thing I've seen in my career. I mean, yeah. I started out, um, at Albany colony and heritage park in the Eastern league in 1988, was probably considered one of the best ballparks in the country. Mm -hmm. And it got torn down in the late nineties <laughs> or it was, it was actually the Yankees left heritage park in 90 after the 94 season. 
when Jeter and, and uh, Mariano and Pettit and Jorge played up there. Oh, wow. And they went to Norwich in 95. Okay. So that stadium, only a few years after I left, was already outdated. And wasn't mm-hmm. they couldn't get it to the point of where it was going to be um, dated enough or, or updated enough to uh, meet the standards. And, and back then, there weren't really standards that were in place like they are today. Right. But the evolution of minor league ballparks. I mean, when I worked in Charleston, uh, College Park in Charleston, I mean, you talk about, uh, I mean, it was a dump then, but it was our dump. We loved it. Yeah. Like, it, it, it had character. I mean, that's what we would say about that ballpark. It had character, but it was wooden slatted bleachers and, and um, uh, you know, the outfield didn't drain very well. And, sure. and uh, you know, the, the outfield fence was, was rickety and, <laughs> you know, oh, it had yeah. a scoreboard that, had the old light bulbs in it. Hey, I learned a great trick. You talk about MacGyver. You know, we mentioned that earlier. Um, I learned how cutting potatoes in half and shoving a, a raw potato into a, a video or a scoreboard and turning it gets a, a, a stuck socket out of a light, a light bulb. Oh, light okay. bulb socket. All right. So there you go. There's, there's your yeah. home tip of the day. If you ever have a light bulb break off and the, and the socket, about the base of the light bulb stuck in the socket, you could take a potato and spin it out. But, um, <laughs> Definitely, I think the, the greatest change in minor league baseball over the years is just the evolution of the facilities and, and the stadiums. I mean, you know, when I was in Fort Myers, obviously it's a spring training facility, but the uh, the renovation we did down there to Hammond Stadium was just spectacular. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, the Goldkind Group at St. Paul. I think uh, CHS Field is one of the most beautiful ballparks in the country, major league or minor league, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend that. Uh, Charleston, you know, College Park, uh, they went to Joe Riley Park after College Park. That was several years after I left. And mm-hmm. it's probably one of the most beautiful settings on the marsh overlooking the Citadel um, yeah. behind the first baseline and the Ashley River behind the outfield wall. It's a beautiful setting. Okay. Um, and that's a park that's uh, twenty going into its 25th year and it's aged beautifully. It's, it's just a great ballpark. So I think for me, just the, the creativeness of ballparks in general and just how they've been built and, and – the amenities that they have. Um, well, going looking back to when I first started in this game, that's been probably the biggest change in a positive. Okay, and then the minor league guy he had a follow up question and he asked, uh, "What do you hope changes in the next twenty years?" Well, I, I I really hope that we can do as an industry that we can get more people, more youth interested in baseball again. Um, yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of competition for youth sports, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so and when I was a kid, soccer, I went to camp, like I mentioned, and, and soccer was big, lacrosse was big, but, um, I feel like some of those sports maybe have taken over baseball as, as the number one sport for kids growing up. And, and, uh, you know, you pair that up with the fact that the games are longer and it's hard to keep people engaged. You know, I, I hope we figure that out. I hope we figure out a way to engage young people more. And, and I think those of us who work in minor league baseball and the things that we could do in our communities and getting involved with the little leagues and yeah. and, and other community initiatives, it, you know, we, we never lose sight of the fact that that's our future fan base, right? And, right. And so we need to engage them and we need to bring them out to the ballpark and get them interested in the game. Yeah. So I hope as an industry, I hope that we're able to, to – to grow that fan base and and make sure that we have more kids interested in it so that future generations yeah evolving with the game as well right right yeah i mean starting as a kid i i had always liked minor league baseball more than major league baseball um just just because of the intimacy and the cool promotions and you know getting the autograph signed by by the you know your favorite player and that kind of stuff so um yeah, I definitely feel you on that one. Um, so we're closing out here, Steve. Where can the where can the listeners find you on social media? Uh, probably best spot is on Twitter. Um, Stevie G H V R is my handle. Okay. S T E V I E G H V R. All right. That's the best place to find me on social media. And uh, for people, you you're on Instagram as well. Um, it's not super hard to find you. Um, and then you're on LinkedIn for people that want to connect professionally on there as well. Yeah, please do. Um, always happy to help anybody who's interested in, in finding out more about a career in 
in sports in general, but specifically minor league baseball. Um, one of my biggest passions when, when minor league baseball you would do the job fairs at the winter meetings is, mm-hmm. is to speak at those events and, and do roundtables and, and talk to people wanting to get into the game. And, you know, I had people who, people who were kind enough to mentor me early in my career, and, and I feel it's always important to give back and do the same. And uh, so if anybody who's listening is interested in learning more about a career in, in minor league baseball, you know, feel free to reach out at LinkedIn or Steve at HV Renegades is my email. You can find that on our website at hvrenegades.com. Always happy to help. Awesome. Awesome. And I close out each episode with the same question. And there's actually a, a Spotify playlist with all of these walk-up songs, all my guest walk-up songs on there. Uh, during your baseball career, what has been your favorite walk-up song and whose was it? Uh, I got a unique answer for this. All Maybe right. you've heard it. I don't know. And it's not really a walk-up song. It's a walk-in song, I okay. guess. But uh, the movie Major League came out in 1989, my second year in, in um, working in baseball. And Ricky Vaughn, Wild Thing. Uh, yep. To me, that, that, that epitome, that's the epitome of a great walk-in song, right? I yep. mean, fit the character. Um, just, uh, you know, um, <laughs> guys out in the bleachers. You know, wild thing, you make my heart sink. <laughs> Whatever the line was, you know, not right. sing, but sing. You know? Yeah. And then just giving him, you know, giving him a hard time when he's coming in. And, and uh, I just always thought that was just, I, I, I love major, I love the Major League series. In fact, Major League Back to the Minors was filmed at College Park in Charleston. Okay. So uh, it was after I left. But if anybody's a, a fan of the Major League series, the Major League 3, Back to the Minors. Okay. Filmed at College Park in Charleston. So that, that, that movie for me is really awesome to see that ballpark featured in a movie. Sure. Um, but so that's my answer to that. Okay. I don't, I'll bet in all your previous episodes, nobody's ever gave you that answer, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> so, all right, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, you know, we're, you're getting closer to the season starting. Uh, yeah, I know your time is good as gold right now. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening to come on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Really appreciate it. Sure thing, Bobby. I enjoyed it. And uh, looking forward to uh, a great season here in 2022. We've uh, hopefully gotten past all the pandemic uh, um, restrictions that were in place last yes. year. And yes. just looking forward to a season where we can pack the park again and show people a great time here at Dutchess Stadium. Perfect, perfect. Have a great season, Steve. Thank you. You too, buddy. Take care. Thanks. Appreciate it. Listen to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.